0: Today's guest is a legend in the cooperative world. Today, we speak to Howard Brodsky, chairman and founder of CCA Global Partners, about how he went from almost losing the family business to building one of the largest retail cooperatives in the country. I'm Matt Mowry. I'm Nathan
1: Carroll, and welcome to BizCast NH. Welcome to 2023, Happy New as year. it were. And um, I probably asked this last year, but I'm going to ask it again. Are you into New Year's resolutions? Are you thinking, you know, there's anything you want to focus on? I or? never
0: like setting myself up for failure. So, <laughs> uh, oh <laughs> knowing you. my track record and when I used to, I, I don't. But I but think I, I have some goal setting. Oh, okay. And this year's goals get more organized. Ooh. So, now that I'm a business owner and oh, you I've are? got oh. two partners relying <laughs> on me as well as our employees, um, I decided, you know, um, perhaps my haphazard ways of uh, approaching my schedule and, um, how I organize my time needs to, to get a little sharpened. So that's what I'm working on. This cool. That's the goal.
1: That, how about you? I love it. That's the goal. Um, oh, I yeah, yeah I can I see you put a lot of thought I don't, into it. I don't really do I don't really do resolutions. Um I it's you know it's it's perfecting the balance of all the things that we are doing, that Cardinal is still doing, um, that my family needs of me. Mm-hmm. But also um, you know, I think a big one is has got to be just staying healthy and staying, you know, focused mentally, physically, all of that. Cheating um, that
0: balance.
1: Yeah, like the real balance and and just making sure that like If I said like a bunch, I don't usually do that. It must be a must be a thing. I don't know. Um, But yeah, just just making sure that there is that balance and that, you know, I'm listening to my myself and and my body and all of that. And just uh, making sure that um, I'm healthy. Because I have so many people now that rely upon me. It's a a good one. I I have to listen a little
0: less to my body because it keeps telling me to eat Oreos. Oh, (laughs) see
1: that. It it usually tells, mine tells me that at about like 8.30 at night. And then my, yeah. And then there's some other messages after that. I I eat the Oreos. So, but slippery slope, rabbit
0: hole. I know. And I think, you know, my next resolution is to be more like our next guest.
1: Oh, there you go.
0: To leave a legacy.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, so speaking of which, our guest this week is Howard Brodsky, CEO and founder of CCA Global Partners, one of the largest cooperatives in the United States with sales over $10 billion. CCA Global Partners services 20,000 child care centers, 2,000 nonprofits, and over 1 million independent family businesses. Howard was the first American to be awarded the Rochdale Award, the Nobel Prize of Cooperative Business, given to an individual who has made the greatest impact in cooperatives worldwide. Additionally, he received the Business Leader of the Decade Award, Global Leader Award by the World Affairs Council. He was inducted into the Cooperative Hall of Fame and Entrepreneurial Hall of Fame. Locally, Howard serves on the board of directors for Solution Health Southern New Hampshire University, National Cooperative Business Association, and the Steele Foundation for Hope. He is chairman of the New Hampshire Better Business Bureau. He's also a published author, and his theory on business can be seen on the highly rated TEDx Talks. Howard, it's truly, truly an honor to have you uh, to have you here to tell us your story, the story of your family, and, and your success. Um, so maybe let's start there. I had read... Um, a little bit about you and, and uh, who you, you know, you're coming up to where you are now, but um, I understand that a lot of it started with your father, who was a Russian immigrant. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, my father was actually born in Ukraine. Oh, okay. It's now Ukraine. Right, because and that, Lord it was knows, part of that Russia, area right. has yes. fluctuated. Yes, and he came over to the United States uh, as an immigrant with his family when he was uh, 13 years old. Uh, matter of fact, it took two years of walking out of Ukraine. He had the same boots on for two years. He was kidding. And when he came here, they had to cut the boots off. And wow. he had um, <laughs> veins in his feet for, you know, that it ever lasted because of it. But, um, you know, it was his dream when he came here um, to someday have a business of his own. And I, I was born actually in Lawrence, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. m- moved here when I was five. And my father and Lawrence worked at, in Sears in the floor covering department. And as I said, he he dreamed of having a business, and we had relatives in Manchester. At the time, it seemed like a long ways away from Lawrence, Mass. Yeah. to Manchester. <laughs> yeah, ninety-three yeah. wasn't there, but right, um, he came to Manchester to open up a small floor covering store called Dean's Carpet, Dean's Floor Covering, at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had just—it was a small store, you know. With, it was one employee, and mm. uh, he, he just—it was his just love of his life and the pride, and I saw that, and. Yeah. Uh, My father developed cancer when I was very young, um, when I was about 11, and he died when I was 13. And uh, I said to my mother at the time, even though I was 13 years old, I said, that's what I want to do. I said, I want to take over the family business. And I said, it was a small, you know, at the time there were two employees. And uh, my mother why she would listen to a 13 year old but listen to a 13 year old <laughs> s- stepped in and ran the business until i got out of college oh, that's wow. amazing um, and my mother was my idol my mm-hmm. she raised me and was my you know was the great optimist and uh really gave me you know so much motivation for everything i've ever done
1: wow um and <laughs> your father's name was not was, dean right no it
2: wasn't it was harry <laughs> Ah yes okay yeah
1: so why why Dean's
2: well it was interesting he was concerned at the time mm-hmm. um, we're Jewish and that um, didn't know how um, it would maybe affect business somebody mm-hmm. not understanding you know that it was Jewish he wanted a, a very neutral name that sure. didn't portray any religious content sure not that Jewish is a you know Brodsky is a big Jewish name but it is and um, so he wanted to be the dean of the floor covering industry, it. you know, at, <laughs> that, you know at, a, at, a, at a very young age. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it, it so much grounded so much to me why family businesses are the core of community. I, I just, you know, I saw it just not only from my father, but from just growing up and seeing that family businesses to me is what's at the heart of America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, the heart of America is not Home Depot or Lowe's or, Amazon, right? You know, it, it's family businesses, and so from that, I, I came into the business after college. Mm-hmm. And I have to uh, ask
0: Howard, yeah. what kept you motivated that time? I, it's one thing uh-huh. for a thirteen-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's such a hard thing to go through. Right. Dad's passing, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and I could see why, you know, as a thirteen-year-old, you'd be like, I, I want to continue mm-hmm. Dad's right. legacy. Right. But that was a commitment you kept for years. Mm-hmm. What kept you motivated on that particular dream, and 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 making that your goal as you're growing up?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Matt. And I, I think, I think, as I said, I just saw the pride and the love my father had in it, and to me, it was something I wanted to be part of. You know, it was like it was the family business, even though it was like it was it was a small business, but I didn't view it as a small business. It was. The business, our, it was the family business, right? And uh, and actually, to your point, Matt, I didn't want to go to college. Um, no. And at the end of high school, I wanted to just go into the business. Huh. And my sister, who is an academic now, not then, but she was always much smarter than me and my brother, <laughs> oh. both professors, and um, now. And but she said to my mother, "If Howard doesn't go to college, sell the business." <gasps> oh my goodness! And so I said. I'm going to college. <laughs> that was my <laughs> and uh, and and in college, um, I always I went to my sister said, "Go to a liberal arts college. You you will have uh, business all your life." Mm. And so I, I went to Wesleyan University, and uh, I think it also was enhanced my social values enormously. So I realized then not only about business, but I think I realized that. Being good in human, to humanity and doing something good for society was going to be part of what my dream was, um, and then somehow business had to be part of that. Mm-hmm. But I think going to college really made me much more aware of, I think, the social needs in our society.
0: And so, at imagine what twenty-one, yeah. you're charging into the world, <laughs> world, and you're like, I'm finally taking right. over the dream, you know, <laughs> taking over Dad's business, right. and. What was that like? Were, were you prepared for what that meant? Or what, what happened as you took over this business?
2: Well, I had great passion. So <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> That's I'm one not, thing. Yeah. I, yes, I'm not sure I had as much knowledge as passion, but I did have. And, and um, so I, I came out with great enthusiasm. Uh, and it, it, the business grew. I, I tended to be strong on the marketing end and the mm-hmm. ideas. I, um, even though I understood, I in economics, actually, but I, I was loved more the marketing and business end of it you know, sure. than the, the finance end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the business grew, grew, grew quite a bit. And I made some mistakes along the ways. Uh, and when I was very young, I uh, almost went out of business.
0: How did I, that happen?
2: Well, uh, we were growing too fast. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, How many we, stores were you growing to at that point?
2: We had four stores and wow. we had on the plans to add 12 more stores. Oh, wow. So this uh,
0: is huge growth you're undergoing at yeah, that Yeah, there was
2: a, a lot of growth. And I was 27 years old, 26 years old. And as I said, the, and it, it, the interesting part is I had hired an industrial psychologist <laughs> that uh, actually helps people with hiring people and the relationship of people. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and what was, prompted
2: you to want to do that? I was on the board of the National Trade Association, and the person next to me was in the furniture industry, and he said, I'm going to see my industrial, I'm going to home to see my psychologist. And I said, Are you okay? You know, and I, I said, <laughs> he said, Oh, no, no, it's my industrial psychologist. And he told me what it was. And I said, I was fascinated by it. So- mm-hmm. and, um, and I proceeded to hire this person that really made me, it opened my eyes about the possibilities of who you could hire, of uh-huh. what great people were. And it really was a, was a lesson I learned early in life. Now, it almost put me out of business because what I did is I hired incredible people and the company was not ready for the... In, the size of it was not ready. I could have run a company 30 times big. <laughs> wow. And so even though they were incredible people, the company mm-hmm. was not quite as incredible as the people at that stage. And and so I almost went out of business. Um, and that was... Uh, you know I, I remember when I went to tell my mother... Uh, we had to file chapter 11 reorganization. Mm-hmm. I went to tell my mother that was in the business with me and... Kept on telling me these people don't know what they're doing, and I said, "Oh, they're very smart." She said, "Maybe smart, but they don't know what they're doing." And uh, and it was a, one of the biggest lessons of my life. I went to tell her that we're almost out of business. We're going to make it, and I had filed Chapter Eleven reorganization. And instead of ever telling me, "I told you so," mm-hmm. that look at you should have done this, she gave me a big hug, and said, "You know, I love you, and that's where you learn." And wow. I say. It's probably the biggest lesson I had in life because I think when people make your biggest mistakes is when you need the most love. You know, um, mm-hmm. you need the most caring when you make horrendous mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it also, if, if my mother had said, Look what you did, I think I would have been much more risk adverse to doing anything else in the future.
1: Mm. Sure.
2: And, and that made me not risk adverse. It made me say it was okay to risk and maybe even fail.
0: Because mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what you must have been feeling. What a relief that must have been! Because I can't imagine how you must have been feeling going to her. You know, from thirteen, you've been telling her, "Please keep running this right. business. I'm oh. going to take it over. I'm going to grow." Well, and now you're yeah. having to go to her and say, "I might be blowing it."
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, it was. It was a very difficult time. I mean, it was emotional, difficult, and um, and as I said, I learned a lot. I would say, you know, that was my MBA during the, that period. Yeah. where I learned a lot about business and people in life. I think, you, know, you, make, you learn the most when you're going through the most difficult times. I always think nobody raises their hand and says, I want to go through a difficult time, right. but that is when you learn.
0: It is. What were it some is. of the most yeah. valuable lessons? I mean, you shared one of the greatest ones, but what were yeah. some of the other lessons you learned out of that that you used to reset the business and grow it again? Yeah. So I, I think, first
2: of all, the value of people, I, I learned just with the industrial psychologist, it was a lesson I learned forever, just how to find really exceptional people and how they are the core of the business. I also learned the blending of that, that you can't bring too many new people on simultaneously that don't understand the business. There's a pacing of absorption of knowledge of industry. And even though I believe you can bring people from the outside in any industry, mm-hmm. there, there's a pace of when that can happen. And if you do it too fast, and also also, um, watching the numbers, that I needed to be more careful with the financial end of the business. I I understood it, but I didn't pay attention to it. And I needed to learn to respect it at a higher level. And boy, I learned to respect (laughs) it. (laughs) Long-term respect for the the numbers in the business. Mm -hmm.
0: And so the business began growing again. Yes. But you're then starting to compete in a world that's changing and where big box stores are starting to come into being. At what point did you turn from being, you know, leading the family business to growing this cooperative behemoth that's there for family businesses?
2: Yes. Well, um, I think a couple of things happened. I became, was a I founded the National Trade Association with uh, some other friends of mine. There had not been a National Trade Association. I became president of it, and became friendly with a lot of other dealers across different parts of the country. And Alan Greenberg, who I helped he was one of the founders and was also a president of the we were very friendly. we said, "You know, look at what's happening in America. You know, The big chains are gobbling up everybody in every industry." You know, it was, it was becoming the Home Depot, the Lowe's, but also even the optometrists was becoming lens crafters. You know, mm, th- I mean, every industry was being gobbled up. You know, the local grocery store was being gobbled up by Albertson and Kroger and, mm-hmm. you know, Hannaford, but whatever. Um, and we said, you know, scale is really becoming critical to run a business. And we got to figure out how to bring scale, not only to ourselves, but to all these friends that we've made in the industry. And we had knew somebody that was the, he uh, was actually the lobbyist for, the, for our floor covering industry and said, you know, I know the CEO of TrueServe Hardware Stores, which was a big mm-hmm. cooperative like Ace sure. of hardware stores. And he said, I think you guys should go down and meet with him. And we flew down to Butler, Pennsylvania. And the, the CEO at the time was a gentleman named Larry Zephes. and. We didn't understand what a cooperative was. When we flew down there, we walked into his, his office. I very little, I understood like a lot of people do, what a food co-op is or something. We did mm-hmm. not understand how it could affect business and all the other elements. And um, we spent a we spent an entire day with him. He was so generous with the time. We spent eight hours with him and told us of the value of the co-op and what it can do for family businesses and how it brings scale. And, and yet it shared ownership. And mm-hmm. so that... It's not one person getting rich. It's if it, the ownership is shared by everybody, and the wealth is shared by everybody, and the the values are shared by everybody. and And I always call I think cooperatives are a great equalizer. And we walked out of there that day, and we said, you know something, we're going to form a cooperative. And that was when, and the the company's name actually was Carpet Cooperative of America. Ah. So the CCA now yep. is actually, and in in our first company was Carpet One, and we said we brought 12 of our friends in who we knew from across the country and we had a little flip chart (laughs) and we said this is our concept what do you think and we said come on now and if at the end of 90 days you don't think it's good you can all walk and that was the beginning
1: in a room in atlanta with the concept Wow. So the the let's back up just a tiny, tiny bit though. You said this. You said that people know co-ops from the local the co-op grocery right. store, that sort of thing. So what um, what is the big difference, in, and what has um, yeah? Let's let's just dig into that in terms of the co-op as a business. Um, obviously, CCA has a number of businesses underneath it or within it. Um, but how does that say differ? From or how is it similar to the local co-op grocery store in that case? Using yeah, so that's that, it's
2: a great question. Uh, really, and that's why co-ops are very difficult to understand. Yeah. So there's consumer-owned mm-hmm. cooperatives. Okay. A grocer is a consumer-owned. Sure. A credit union is a consumer-owned. Okay. Uh, so where the consumer owns the organization for the benefit of everybody. In a business co which we are, mm-hmm. it's called the purchasing, but in business cooperative, the businesses own the organization. Mm. So it's not a consumer; it's actually businesses own it. Okay. And um, what people don't realize in the in the world of cooperatives, is worldwide, there's a billion members. Wow. Um, it's twelve percent of the world's economy, and two hundred fifty million people have jobs and relate to co-ops in the world. And huh. I think people don't realize. Um, and, and so the business part of the co op, which people I said, it, Lando Lakes is a farmer owned cooperative. Uh, it's, a, it's a $40 okay. billion dollar cooperative. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people viewed co op as, I call a mom pop business. But the reality is, we're over now a $12 billion company, but there are there are companies that are $20 billion, $30 billion, but they're owned. The difference is, they're all owned by the people they serve.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So what People don't understand, even though I'm chairman and CEO and founded the company, I don't own a share of the company. Oh, I don't own a single share of the company. And we set it up that way. Mm-hmm. So it's owned by the family businesses all across four countries, in North America, New Zealand, Australia, but it's owned by the family businesses that we serve. So there's never a misalignment with values. Uh, there's never a misalignment uh-huh. of like, Who are we serving? And and the other thing is, I think, you know, we live in a a world where wealth is not equal, and co-ops try to equalize that wealth Mm -hmm. and and bring a quality where the quality does not exist in opportunity.
0: And how does the cooperative serve its business members? What does it give your member family-owned businesses that they didn't have before?
2: Yeah, so Matt, it's scale, but it's scale in everything. So it's scale in buying, uh, obviously, buying is critical, mm-hmm. but we buy at the same price as Home Depot and Lowe's. We actually buy more than Home Depot or Lowe's. Uh-huh. We're, we're a bigger purchase than Home Depot or Lowe's, but it's more than that because in today's world, marketing, digital marketing is so complex today, so it's all the marketing services. We have training programs that are extensive training programs. We have succession programs, members succession if they want to sell their business. Uh, we have insurance programs. We own an insurance agency that is owned by the company to service all our members. Credit card processing. So literally store design. Anything when they open, put that key in the door. You know, what I've always said is I think the local entrepreneur is much better than the local manager of a, <laughs> of a, of a, of a Home Depot, a Walgreens, or anything. Mm-hmm. The, if you give them the same scale, the problem is it's not a level playing field. So if you give the local entrepreneur the same resources and the same scale of what a big chain has, they understand their market and they care about their market. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, They're embedded in that community more than a manager could ever be embedded in that community.
1: Amazing, we'll be right back.
2: McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com
0: for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys.
1: All right, we are back with Howard Brodsky. Um, before the break, it looked like Matt was going to ask a. He had a question right at the tip of his tongue, so I'm just going to let him roll with it. And then I've got another question for you too that we'll roll into. But go right ahead, Matt. So
0: this started out with uh, carpet um, stores coming together to compete with the big box stores. It is come to encompass so much more how many different industries do you now serve and how did that evolve that you wanted to go into all these different areas
2: wonderful question matt i think what happened was we realized after about five years that our core capability was really not floor covering it really was bringing scale to family businesses and it didn't matter frankly whether what the industry was and Mm -hmm. so we started off the next one we started off was in the lighting, retail lighting world. But we slowly went into bicycles and fitness stores and uh, community management association companies. And we, we currently have 15 different cooperatives that operate in, in four countries. Uh, but what was interesting was we, we saw the value across all spectrums. And then what happened about 12 years ago or 13 years ago, the Aspen Institute from Washington came to us and said, you know, we heard what you're doing with family businesses and have you ever thought about doing it for nonprofits? And even though I'd been personally involved in nonprofits, it wasn't part of the business structure. We said, no, and uh, Kirsten Moy who was, she was the director for scale for nonprofits for the Aspen Institute came to visit and Slowly she said I would like to bring different nonprofits to see you and once a month she would bring community health center one month she would bring arts organization one month she brought childcare one month mm-hmm. and after 6 months she said they all love what you do <laughs> she said they need scale and just like a family business she said it's you know the executive director you think about the executive director of a nonprofit is the strength of that nonprofit. It's like an owner of a small business. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the head of the local theater, the head of the museum, the head of, you know, the childcare center. And she said, I think you really, you would do the world a good service if you tried to go into, go into the nonprofit business. And huh. so at that point, we looked and we researched and we entered into the childcare world because there was such a need. Childcare centers are understaffed. People are underpaid. And what happens is, It's the foundation of children as they're growing. And if they don't have a good child care center, um, their life changes. And so we entered in the child care center world, um, developed a really robust program over a period of years, and now we serve over 30,000 child care centers in the United States. We serve 2.3 million children every day. Um, And it's very gratifying. We we hear child care centers come up to us and say, you know, I saved $40,000 on the food I give kids because of you. I saved 30000 on the insurance because of what I did. And because of that, I've hired two new aides that, I, that are servicing the children. Um, so I think what we've seen is the cooperative model is that just, it's a, you know, it's a, I call it, it's a perfect blend. It's capitalism with a conscience. Mm-hmm. We're very entrepreneurial. We are an entrepreneurial company. We are very, we're not a nonprofit. But we're not, I, you know, I don't believe in socialism, but I think pure capitalism is turning out not to be good for a lot of our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, there's so many people being left behind in our society. Right. And so, you know, a cooperative is a very purpose-driven entrepreneurial company that serves its members at its base, but that can grow to enormous scale. And, you know, because I think, you know, when I look, back and I say, uh, I think there's two types of poverty that happen in our world. There's, there's poverty of economics, mm-hmm. which is, we see that. I think there's also poverty of hope, that people lack the ability to hope. And what I think of a cooperative does, whether it's in a childcare center, in a mm-hmm. family business, in a local, it gives people not only the economy of being better, but the, there's, there's a hope for there's a better society and a better world for me.
0: And the world saw such a huge change, obviously, come 2020, when this pandemic just hit in full force and really hit hard the base of businesses that you serve. We saw retailers all of a sudden having to rethink their models, lean even heavier into online sales and come up with new ways of getting things to their customers. We saw childcare centers having to close their doors and people realizing just how essential their services really were. And so here's CCA. It's trying to serve these members that are facing unprecedented challenges. What did your organization do? What were the, what were the, the, the challenges your members were coming to and how did you rise to the occasion?
2: Well, it was obviously a critical time and it was uh, it was traumatic for everybody. Mm. Uh, because we were facing times that nobody I mean our stores were told to had to be closed. Right. I mean, they, and was was interesting, Home Depot and Lowe's were allowed to be open. So our competitor was allowed to be open because they were considered a a necessary
0: business, essential
2: service, and we were not allowed to be open. So there we were facing the world of saying, you have to close and the other, your competitor can be open. So this was, um, but what we did is we said, had enormous passion and commitment to our members to make sure that they succeeded during this. So when the PPP loans were out, Mm We put a staff of a huge number of people working every day of every detail, working with every single of our stores across all United States mm-hmm. of how to file the The day that the PPP loans had to be filed, we had 95% of our members file the paper and 90% got loans within seven days. Wow. We, we had over a quarter of a billion dollars of money into our members' hands in seven days. But also, they we had the marketing team tell them, "Here's how you should be doing the marketing. Here's how you need to now go into the home, mm-hmm. set up appointment. Here's here's the safety equipment you need." In the childcare centers, we got all the the you know the personal protection equipment they needed, the the mask and the the hand sanitizers into their hands. Mm-hmm. We were working literally like you know twenty hours a day. The staff committed. What was interesting is. In our core businesses, during the entire pandemic, we didn't lose one member, which is astonishing. We didn't lose one member, but we, we had people so committed. I mean, I got letters from people. there was one of our members, and candidate wrote me a letter. And he said, you know, I went to the Chamber of Commerce the other day, and the head of the Chamber of Commerce said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing okay only for one reason. He, mm. said, he said, I have a co-op. That's my guiding light that tells me where I should go. Wow. And he said, and, and we, I've, we got the most beautiful notes from people that said, you know, you saved my business. I just wouldn't have known what to do. And, you know, when you think about it, when the world turns upside down, the local family business cannot look at the big perspective of here's how you have to change your business. Here's how you have to change your website. And you have to do it. Here's how you have to apply for the loans or here's your cash flow. And I think we were able to provide those services to them
1: and just really make an enormous difference in their lives. Mm, Amazing examples of the power of scale in that way. Yes, Um, CCA has consistently been on uh, the list of the best companies to work for. Um, Why would you say it is? What are the the pieces that stand out uh, as a best company to work for?
2: Well, I think we're the more, we're people first, not mm-hmm. profit first. We're very busy, people-driven, purpose-driven company uh, that cares about our our members, at, um, that cares about our people at at the core, mm-hmm. um, and we also want to provide an environment that enhances their life because we realize work life and look at remote work now. You know, they people yeah. spend a lot of time home, but still their work life is a big part of their work. And so we want them to enjoy it. We want them to be enriched by it. We want them to, to grow as people. Um, we don't, you know, it's it's not a, our world is not a numbers game. Our, uh, our world is a people game. Um, you know, we don't manufacture anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so our what we do to service our members is everything. And so I think, number one, I think, the people that work for us really believe in the family, saving family businesses. Mm-hmm. It, it's what they believe, and the other part is we know that we have to devote, which we want to, um, you know, time and caring to have them have a better life in every way possible. You know, in a, when when people were at work and they still now they're now we're a hybrid, mm-hmm. but you know we're dog friendly. If somebody wanted to bring their kids in because somebody was sick at home, they could bring their kids in. Um, you know we we would have an enrichment seminars about um, health and financial being, and we we, we want to make the environment a place that is both enjoyable, enriches their lives, and makes them better people.
1: love it love it
0: one of the things that comes out related to that is you know managers play such an essential role into whether or not people stay or they leave right. and you know, as part of the competition, um we do site tour visits and, and meet with focus groups of employees. And over the years, you know, one consistent thing has come out is that people love theirs is you and 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 your management style. And in talking to you about that, it has been very evident there's something that you do that really connects to the employees and allows you not only them to connect to you, but you to them. Can you talk about your morning routine and why oh, it's so wow. important and kind of endemic of the culture that is at CCA?
2: Sure. Um, You know, for years and years and years, the first thing when I do in the morning, I first just get myself settled, but then I do, I call it my walk around. And my walk around is I go around to every person in the company and say, good morning. Now, a lot, it's more than good morning because sometimes somebody's been traveling and I say, how was your trip? Sometimes I know that somebody had, maybe somebody sick at home and I had this. Sometimes I see a face that... Doesn't look like concern. I know I should spend an extra 10, 15 minutes talking to that person. Um, and my walk around could take 25 minutes and it can take an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, but I learn more and connect more um, because these are people I care about. You know, I, I care about them. And and I, I always think sometimes somebody will say, I was going to tell you that, but maybe they weren't going <laughs> to make, make the effort to come to tell me that. Mm-hmm. But also I think it's, it's showing personal caring and an intimacy that I think belongs in business. I think business sometimes is too much about business because the heart of business is about people. And, um, and so my connection with them is very important. And I think they also know this. Um, there's no barriers. You know, if somebody wants to say something to me, I don't have a barrier and I don't try to have a hierarchy within our organization where there's, there's, you know, don't say something to this person because this person will say something. Um, I, I try to eliminate that type of feeling and, 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 and barriers. And you know, I remember one day I was walking around, and we have a, a Keisha who's worked for us for quite a few years, who's just an amazing young woman. Um, and I, I said, oh, good morning, Keisha. And she said, good morning. I said, anything I could do for you today? And she said, oh, yes, actually. <laughs> she said, I said, what is that? She said, see these three boxes? I would like them moved over to the thing. I said, absolutely. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I went down and got the three boxes and I brought them to where she won. I came back and I said, anything else? She said, I love your office.
1: <laughs> I, said, <laughs>
2: I said, you can't have it yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's too much. But of course, indicative of the relationship that they have with you because of the way that the, mm-hmm. the person that you are. Um, and that leads me into another question. I was going to ask, and I sometimes ask this of our guests, you know, their their mentors and things like that and sort of where their foundation comes from. But since you mentioned in the beginning that you were Jewish, I too am Jewish, and I wonder um, if... Any of the, your, uh, the lessons of Judaism or your faith, no matter how much you practiced it growing up and, and as an adult, um, have uh, really formed who you are in, in that way? It's a, it's a wonderful
2: question uh, because I've done more reflection on it as I got older than when I was younger. Mm. And I think I didn't realize actually when I was younger the effect that it had on me. So I, I think it had an enormous effect on my social values uh, because it was, it was ingrained um, in how we were growing up and what we thought about. And so I, I didn't view, I didn't understand it when I was younger mm-hmm. and I didn't understand I think until I got much older about why I was so drawn to do a socially responsible organization rather than an organization that was just for profit. Right. And, and some people say to me, I mean, a lot of people don't understand that I don't own the company. <laughs> they, they say. Well, that was really stupid of you. <laughs> Not, you, could, you, could be, you could be enormously wealthy. You could be, billion, you know, and I said, but I have everything I'd want in life. And, uh, you know, my enrichment is seeing the value of other people succeed and grow and um, contribute to society. And I think in a lot of ways, my Judaism and growing up in a in a background where that was Sort of a core principle mm-hmm. was was part that I said I didn't understand until m- many years later. My wife actually said to me, I don't think you understand just how much a part of that is of who you are. Yeah, yeah, how <laughs> Jewish you really right, are, right, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, I,
1: I think about um, my daughter is three and my son is six, and they both have Tzedakah boxes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and my son doesn't quite yet understand what. Um, what that's all about? He thinks maybe that it's it's his money, and I remind him that it's a daka box is where we take our money and we we put it away, but we give it to another cause or another person or another thing, um, and that's also that uh, that lesson around tikkun olam, healing the world, and I think um, you know. Obviously, your social values coming from that—that that, it makes complete sense. That's why I asked the question, but I was just curious about that. And I'm so glad to hear now that you're, there's even more reflection on it. You're right because I think as kids, they get you know the the Hebrew pushed at them and the stories and the this and the that things they have to do, but it's later on that we get to really reflect and become a person based on what we know. So fascinating, right. fascinating. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. yeah. <laughs> and so, as you've developed this force of a cooperative in the world, you've also just uh, become an ambassador and an advocate for cooperatives of all kinds. Can you talk about that work that you're doing and how you hope that will shape movements going forward?
2: Yeah, I, I think, as I said, that our society, in, in, not in the United States, but around the world, but in the United States even more so, that capitalism has, has become not a force of good. Um, and I believe business should be a force of good. And, I, and I've seen the power that cooperatives can bring in scale and how it can enter so many different phases of our of the business world. So I have. I, my son started, I w- was with him, and chairman of the board of the start.coop that accelerates them, starts eight new cooperatives that can be national every year. And I've seen the power of these. Mm-hmm. One is Driver.Corp in New York City, Instead of Uber and Lyft, it's owned the technology is owned by the drivers. They're making 35% more Oh wow! doing the same ride uh-huh. because Uber and Lyft just, just take all the money take out. Take it away, yeah. Um, but I've also, Matt, to your point, I've, I've taken a, a role in the, in the international movement of cooperatives. So internationally, uh, as I said, there's a billion members in the world And internationally, the co-op movement wants to, rightfully so, have more of an effect in countries around the world. And in the G20 that, you know, meets Mm -hmm. every year, different locations. So the cooperative have appointed leaders from the leading G20 countries, the leading cooperative leaders, to meet with the G20 every year to talk about how cooperatives can play and be more of an economic model in societies. Because the G20 countries represent... 80% Eighty percent of the world's economy; those twenty countries represent eighty percent. And <clears throat> the International Co-op Alliance, which is the umbrella world organization, uh, appointed me the global chairman. So, I, yeah, so that it's a very exciting role, and I'm standing. And I was invited because of that, uh, just in uh, in August, to speak at the United Nations, and uh, it was very exciting to speak about the power of cooperatives and the role they can play around our world and and how much an effect they have. And and as I said, because I see, um, whether it, it be in farmer cooperatives, and business cooperatives, in credit unions or rural electric, I see the power of shared ownership. I see the power of shared decision-making and democracy the way it should be, um, and shared wealth. And, and I think we have to look at a society that's more equal than where we are. And so I'm very committed uh, to continue that.
0: One of the other areas that um, you've, you've got this life that you've dedicated to moving things forward better for the future and bettering families and people's futures. And one of the ways that you've done that too is to set up a scholarship fund here. Um, to support high school students who might want to pursue a career in journalism, which of course is near and dear to me. Can you talk (laughs) about why you've done that and what some of the results of that have been?
2: Yeah, so that's really with my son, Jeff, who's uh, very very ill. And he was editor, editor co-editor-in-chief of the school newspaper and also went on to get a master's from Columbia University in oral history Um, and became an oral historian and, and producer and he had a and still has a great passion for journalism and he really wanted to leave a legacy of uh student journalism continuing and so he set up the Brotsky prize every year it's it's done with the loeb school of communication uh with judges and it gives scholarships to aspiring young high school students uh that want to have journalism as a career and we I, you know, it's such as you know, Nathan and Matt. You know, journalism is a is just a wonderful opportunity for people to share truth in the world mm. in a way that's not done. And um, and in some ways, it's becoming a little bit lost art. And I'm, yeah. I'm worried. And so we've we've seen the scholarships we've given to people that uh, it just gives them the opportunity to continue their passion mm-hmm. to go into journalism. And I'm. And Giving the scholarships out is, uh, has been a very rewarding and enriching experience in my son's
1: name. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, you are well you're you're not retiring. you were very careful to say that uh, earlier to us, but um, you are transitioning, but also you know focusing on some other things that as as you've mentioned. but um, what is what is next and and what are you most looking forward to from here on out?
2: Yeah, so I, I am staying as chairman of the board of the company mm-hmm. and, uh, and giving up my chief executive role to the operational part of the role, mm-hmm. but staying very much involved with, with the organization. It's been uh, 38 years of a passion, wow. so a long time. But I'm also taking a much more active role, as we talked about, mm-hmm. in cooperatives because I see not only in Start.coop, which is incubating new co-ops, mm-hmm which is just exciting to see the potential of new cooperatives in the world and taking more of a role, um, both nationally and globally, to try to enhance and further new cooperative startups and also to have, I think, uh, the government and people realize the power of cooperatives mm-hmm. and how it can be such a force of good and that it's it's that great combination of being entrepreneurial and capitalism with a heart. It said it's capitalism with a conscience. And I, I think we can't be just capitalists and not be concerned about who we're leaving in the dust. That co-ops try to lift everybody up. It lifts everybody that's involved up to an, another height in another place.
0: Howard, thank you so yeah, much for joining <laughs> us today, sharing us, with us your story, your passion, and your vision. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Thank you. It's been my pleasure and really honored to be with you today.
1: Thank you so much. Howard Brodsky is CEO and founder of CCA Global Partners. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Maury,
1: And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.